to a Solid Ground live stream. It is Monday, September 25th, and the lineup is different today. Both Deborah and David had other things happening in their lives today. So we have Carib and Christine joining us. And this was a really interesting topic that came up. We talk about all kinds of different things in, in these streams. So it's great to just follow where where it leads you know where the interest leads and as we were i think it was after we talked last time carob we were speaking about how wokeness is impacting lds culture so the mormon culture and you're in utah and you have a lot of experience around this and we also have another person who will be joining us shortly who can speak more directly to her experiences within the lds faith about how about what's happening so it's it's been interesting to see the intersection of critical social justice theory and tradition so faiths that you would think would have been uh sort of immune to this stronghold yeah yeah are are not surprisingly to me and maybe to many people counterintuitively there we've seen it with the the christian faith and in many places um and now we're seeing it you're you have some insight into lds but we'll start off with just an intro to solid ground and david always does this for us and he does such a great job and i'm not going to do a great job but i just off the top of my head solid ground is a a peer support community we have an online platform you can join us um solidgroundsupport.org is it org or com jen <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's org. That's terrible. Okay. I'm going to look okay. up. Continue. Yeah. So solid ground support and we members can post and chat with each other online, but we also offer for weekly peer support meetings. And so those are really great. They're 90 minutes long. David, Deborah, Jen, and myself each host one and members can come and talk about all kinds of things. And we tend to discuss the impacts of critical social justice and other authoritarian policies that we're experiencing right now in our culture. And it's a great place to connect with other people who are seeing the things that you're seeing. So it's um, it's it's a wonderful source of, of support and validation in crazy times. And we don't offer legal advice or psychotherapy. It's just peer support, but we welcome you. So check us out. Is it, did you see? It's, it is solidgroundsupport.org.org. All right. Awesome. And so uh, while we're waiting for Tiffany to join us, she'll be here in a little bit. Um, Kara, would you like to sort of start off and introduce what we're talking about today? Sure. Um, so I think last week we were talking just briefly about, um, about the strangeness of, of this coming into the Mormon culture, because we would think that the Mormon culture would be a stronghold. When you think about Utah, you think farmers and you think, you think rural America and you think values. And oftentimes you think bangs and weird dresses, not necessarily the case anymore, <laughs> but it's what people tend, that's the, that's the overall, that's actually the reason why we moved back. Um, and when I lived here before, I was an active member of the church. So there are some things that I can talk about um, that have been really kind of shocking for me to watch. Um, but what we're seeing now in the Mormon religion, there is uh, a, a short story that is pulled to the rod or the great and spacious building. And so if you hang on to the rod, you, you remain faithful, you, you keep your principles. Um, but so many people are calling from that great and spacious building, ignore the rod and come in this direction, which is the way of the world, basically. Um, and it seems like, I'm not going to say it seems like, I'm going to say it is true that most of Utah is starting to look like the great and spacious building. There's a big difference between religion um, and relationship. And so I think that when people, which happens in every single faith, so I'm not, I'm not here to bash the Mormon church. I will not do that. I have plenty of friends who are still LDS as, as well as family. Um, but in every single faith, if you just go through the motions, 
you just, you know, show up because it's what you've always done. I think you become more and more susceptible to the woke um, ideology because you need some sort of, I think you would say that everybody, everybody worships something. So Mm -hmm. there is Tiffany. Here comes Tiffany. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's interesting. (laughs) And there is so much overlap with the, we've, we've heard the woke critical social justice culture discussed as an, a weaponized empathy or a, a kind of a corruption of compassion, you know, it's, and so there's a lot that, that speaks to Christian foundation in that it's just where, you know, the specifics and the dogma of each that well, those... and, and with Mormonism, mm-hmm. it's a little different. Morning, Tiffany. Hi, I'm so sorry. I homeschool five kids. Hi, <laughs> Tiffany. Thanks for like, joining us. Quiet. <laughs> yes, thank no you. No worries at all. It's really nice to meet you. And yes, you welcome to the live stream. We do this live stream every Monday at 10 a.m. Cool. Pacific. And we talk about all kinds of different things. And so you came on super last minute. I'm so grateful that you could just pop in because your experience and your your uh, insights are going to be relative, very relevant to this discussion. So thank you. And do you want to give yourself a little intro so people who are just joining will know who you are? Sure. My name is Tiffany Barker. I live in Utah. Um, I woke up a lot in 2020 to a lot of the things that Satan's trying to pull on us and try to lull us into this uh, carnal security. (laughs) And um, I have five children. My husband and I uh, have five children and I homeschool them. They're ages 12 to actually three my little girl's birthdays today. So she's three today. Um, I'm not sure anything else. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and Jesus is coming back soon. So that's where we're at. <laughs> well, and one of the things that we've been talking about recently, we sort of talked about this off camera last week with Jennifer and Carib and uh, the other Solid Ground folks that do the live stream with us weekly. We were talking about how woke culture or critical social justice or however you want to think about this has started to infiltrate faith communities. And Carib had some thoughts about how this is impacting the LDS community and LDS church. Have you seen this showing up in in your experiences? I have actually. And I to me, uh, what we see at church from fellow members is not always consistent with what we read in the Book of Mormon and the Bible. All through the Book of Mormon, we see prophets fighting against evil, but it's not always fighting Babylon. So the differentiation that I'm trying to make is over and over, they're fighting when the Lord tells them that it's time to fight. If you're fighting with the strength of the Lord, then you do it. But there's also times in scripture where they're told not to fight there's times where we have an entire group of people called the anti-Nephi-Lehi's who are told to bury their weapons of war. And so that, that to me, I feel like the most important thing that we do is to get to know Heavenly Father and to, so that we have the Holy Ghost and get to know Christ. So the Holy Ghost dictates to us what we do, when we do it, how we do it. Um, <clears throat> I think people have weaponized um, our prophet against each other sometimes when our prophet himself is saying, you go to the Lord directly, you go hear him. He's had this this whole entire focus on hearing him. And he did this whole thing right before they pushed for the vaccine. And to me, and a whole bunch of us that aren't necessarily so loud about it, received answers not to get the vaccine. And then people demonized us as not following the prophet when I actually did follow the prophet because he told me to hear him. He told me to go to the Lord and talk to the Lord and get to know him more. I have prayed harder in the last three years, like probably you guys and many others than I ever have. And I have gotten to know the Lord closer than I have, which is exactly what president Nelson, our prophet has pled for us to do for years. So I think just like we see in scripture, it's the last days. I think people are lulled into the carnal security that I talked about and pacified. And that's exactly word for word what the Book of Mormon says. It will be, people will be tricked by a flaxen cord, which is like a small little skinny uh, linen cord that Satan just wraps around and wraps around to tell you they've weaponized words like 
be nice, not just in the church, but like across the world, the word kind, the word nice, that is, they've completely misconstrued that. And it means shut up is what they're trying to say, but we will call out evil. We will stand up for Christ at all costs at all times. So they're sending sort of dual messages here. If he's saying to listen to the prophet, he's telling you to check in with God or to, to understand what you're being directed to do. But then with his words, he's also giving you political instructions that contradict that first message. But you're saying you want to listen to that first message because that's the more true message. Oh yeah. It's like a parable, like how Christ taught. So to me, if you really have eyes to see and ears to hear and that you are paying attention, then you're going to the Lord. And I have quote, because I have been defending my church against people in my church, attacking me and people outside the church, but for three years. And so I have quote after quote of the prophet telling us, Hey, you need to go to the Lord. What I say, you go ask the Lord about it. And this is, I do not speak for my church, but I had this thought come to me like two years ago that is totally my own thought. But I think that Satan may have been planning on my church standing up against the vaccine mandates and all the mandate stuff because our whole thing is agency. That's like the whole doctrine of the gospel is agency. And I wondered if Satan was planning on us standing up against it because he doesn't know. He he knows he knows behind, you know, the things that have happened, but he does not know what's going to happen. And but the fact that we didn't and then was like a to me it was like um kind of like don't look at us. We're going to just keep doing our we're really doing what the world wants us to do. We're going to push the vaccine and all this stuff. Meanwhile, we have temples open. We have, they did close them for a little bit, but then they reopened them. But had we have stood up against this stuff, they would have shut down the church. They, they shut down everything that was trying to oppose all this stuff. So to me, and I think when people weaponize the prophet saying that, they don't get it. And I'm like, if you prayed and felt like you were supposed to get it, that's what you should have done. If you did it and then tried to use his words as, well, I did exactly what he said, then I'm like, you know what? That's on you because you were actually were not being obedient and you were supposed to go to the Lord to hear him. Did the prophet come out with a declaration that was direct about the vaccine? Mm-hmm, he did. And it's interesting. There's a story of the first book in the Book of Mormon is about a guy named Nephi. And he is told he needs to go get the record from this man named King Laban. And Nephi's dad, Lehi, is told to take his family out of Jerusalem. And this is the time of Zedekiah and Jeremiah. And Lehi, as the prophet, could not have told everybody we all need to leave Jerusalem because that wasn't their role. Because when Nebuchadnezzar came in and got Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, their role was to go and teach everything they did with the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. But Lehi's role was to leave. So that's where the prophet cannot speak in a broad sense for everybody individually and say, this is what we're going to do as a 16 million membership worldwide. This is everything they do is designed to lead us to our savior. And so if we can go to the Lord directly and have a relationship with him, then we're able to have, oh, the Lord's telling me this right now. And Nephi, Lehi's son is named Nephi. Lehi gets a word from the Lord. We have to go back and get the record of King Laban. And they go back to get it. King Laban wants to kill him. And so then they leave. And then his brothers are like, you know what? Let's go back to our home in Jerusalem because we probably still have all our stuff there. And they went back. It's a 22-day round trip. And when they went back, everything was fine. Their house was fine. All their stuff was still there. They had, they were very affluent family. And so his brothers are really mad. Like, dad told us to leave and then we left everything and we go back and it's fine. And it was 13 years after they left that it was destroyed. So this is very much, you have to do what the Lord tells you to do. They got all their nice things, took it to King Laban and said, Hey, how about this? We'll give you all these, this stuff and now give us these plates. And then he takes their stuff and tries to have them killed. So they leave again. Then they go back a third time. Cause Nephi says, we are not going to have anything stop us from doing what the Lord wants us to do. So they go back again, and then Nephi goes by himself. Nobody will go with him. And when he goes, 
the Lord tells him, he sees Laban drunk on the steps. The Lord tells him, you need to kill him. And then <laughs> Nephi is like, never at any time have I shed the blood of a man. Like, you're telling me to kill him? And he kills him. And then the Lord says, put on his clothes. So he puts on his clothes and then sees one of his servants named Zoram. I mean, this is like, to me, this is the whole story of the scriptures is people heeding the call of the Lord directly. He dresses up as Laban, goes and gets the plates, finds a servant named Zoram. And then Zoram, he speaks, Nephi speaks in the voice of Laban to Zoram. Zoram thinks that it's him and then goes along with him. And so they get the plates, they go out, his brothers are hiding out there and they think that he's Laban too. So they freak out and start running. Nephi yells, hey, it's me, it's not Laban. And then Zoram finds out and tries to take off and he grabs Zoram because he was a very strong man, he says. And he grabs him and says, you need to stay with us or else you'll be killed if you go back, you got to stay with us. And then later on, it says that Zoram was like the truest forever friend Nephi ever had and his brothers turned on him and tried to kill him. Mm -hmm. Anyway, my whole point of this is that the most important thing that we do is what the Lord tells us to do. And it will not come from a general call out. It comes from a relationship with the Lord mm -hmm. that we trust him. And <clears throat> we don't know from the end, from the beginning, we have all through scripture where people are doing things based off. I didn't know why, but the Lord said to. So you're saying that it doesn't absolve you of responsibility. If you took the word of the prophet, because this, the, the, the faith is very clear that you're supposed to check directly with, with the Lord. Yes. And so you don't get to shift the burden to this man who told you to do this thing. You still and, own the responsibility for that. Yes. And you don't okay. get to weaponize him either. Mm. <laughs> and his words. Cause I'm like, then use all of his words. Don't just take this cherry picked section and put that on the membership and say, you didn't follow when so, it's like, yeah, that's very interesting. And it's a really great it's a, it's a great story uh, that encapsulates what, what we're talking about here. And I'm, this is happening um, in, in other places as well. I'm not a, I'm not a particularly religious person myself. I've been to a number of Christian churches in the last couple of years and all, all my life I've kind of been seeking and haven't really found a perfect place, but I have seen in my local community, how the, the churches have become very divided. Like there were the ones who the ones who really heavily preach social justice around around race and gender where you see the pride flags and you see the um the you know the the they're putting these messages out on their bulletins and mm -hmm. and then the other ones who are very pro authoritarian mandates around health around covid and stuff so there were the ones that shut down completely and just went online during the lockdowns. And then there were the ones that defiantly kept their doors open and said, we're not going to make you wear a mask here. We're, we're not, we're certainly never going to require anybody to get vaccinated. And then, you know, so the, they run kind of the gamut, but it's been interesting to see how these faith communities have been impacted by this. Jennifer, did, have you had any experiences or observations around this yourself? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Um, I went to <laughs> church after church after church and kept leaving as each church fell to wokeness. Um, and it was, it was really disheartening to me because I kind of do view church somewhat as a sanctuary from the world in the sense that the insanity of the world shouldn't really be entering the church. Not that I think, oh, everybody in church is, should be perfect or something. I don't, but I saw that happen and um there is a non-denominational church um not too far from me where they have still managed to um stay um very firm in their beliefs but basically every other church that i saw was starting to get into um supporting black lives matter um talking about white people as inherently racist and therefore harmful and potentially dangerous um, all, all of that. I just saw it over and over. And I actually thought that the, um, the LDS church would be one of the churches that would be really a holdout and very immune to that. I think because I view that church as really, um, being very adherent to their scriptures and being very, um, 
just very observant and kind of walking the walk. And so um, it has surprised me when I've talked to various friends in Utah and they're saying, hey, you know, I went to my kid's school and there's a pride flag in every single room and they're getting all these messages about um, that you could be in the wrong body, that you need to make sure you use people's pronouns. Um, because I thought, <laughs> this sounds, I guess this is all sounding naive now, but I felt like there's gonna be certain groups that are gonna sort of protect us from this. And I felt like, like, LDS people are going to see right through this. And so are a few of the other um, the kind of more serious groups will see through this and will sort of be like a, um, a barrier to it. But from what I hear, that isn't fully happening. And that's, that's mm -hmm. disappointing, I think. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, the, the church has been under attack for decades. They've yeah. got their, our 501c3 status. They've, they're mad if the church doesn't broadcast that they're doing all this humanitarian work. But then if they broadcast it, then they're mad at them for broadcasting it. So in my mind, I think that Satan has such a target on our church and that he wants so badly to stop us. And he has a target on every church, honest, honestly, but specifically the LDS church, because that's my experience. And like I said, I really think that he was planning on the church saying, no, we're not doing this. And everybody think back to 2020, what would have happened to a church that was a worldwide 16 million member, 15 million membership church that worldwide had one leader that said, we are not doing this. Yeah. It would have made I mean, a big we, difference. It would have made a huge but, difference. Well, it could have been a difference, but they would not have been able to function at all. Right. And the, the idea of the church is an eternal mindset. It is not a temporal, like the Lord sees way beyond what we see. And it's not all through scripture. The goal is not prolong your life as long as you can. The goal is your spiritual life. Right. Your spiritual well, I want to check in here with the chat a little bit. So um, House of Bad Influence, I saw this come through and House of Bad Influence says we're facing a crisis unlike I've never seen in my 48 years. Only we can fix it. All this religious talk is not helping. I think it is dividing. Many will tune out. And I kind of wanted, I, I thought that was an interesting comment and I wanted to respond to that. I think that the part of the way that I'm understanding what's happening right now culturally is it's a crisis of meaning making. And I think that people are seeking, un, seeking meaning as we've had, our, our culture has, has kind of come out of a traditional foundation at some point. We could argue that this would have been like what the 1950s and we have this cultural revolution in the 60s and people are moving through the decades since then. We can watch the changes in the culture as we have loosened up and become more, more gratuitous in our, in our seeking of pleasures and our meaning making in our own lives. We have so much freedom to choose how we want to live and what what our lives what shape our lives are going to take I'm, I'm speaking of american culture specifically but as we've moved farther and farther from traditions cultural and religious foundations we have spun out to the point where people don't even know if they're boys or girls anymore we don't even know foundational meaning in the the youngest cult, in our culture right now i don't i'm not saying that i think that the the answer is to become religious and to 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 adhere to older religions although some people for some people that is the answer and i think that's an interesting conversation to have but what we have right now is an opportunity to to discuss how we make meaning in our lives what what is your backdrop what is your should if you can look out in front of you and say you shouldn't be doing this this shouldn't be happening well then what is your backup against as you say that where's your foundation and I think that that's worth discussing. I mean, I'm a, you're 48, I'm 47, I'm a Gen Xer too. It's, we're all coming out of this, this culture of, you know, you do you, this mm -hmm. liberalism to the, to the extreme, you know, at the extreme tales of it. So um, Carib and Christine, I'm really interested in your thoughts on all of this. Um, well, I did want to mention something because um, I don't the right to the right to marriage act that passed. I don't think it was last year or earlier this year or something. And um, it was interesting to me because, you know, I come from a Catholic background. I'm not really practicing, but that for the, the, the way that policy was written, okay, was 
you know, the right to marry, meaning across the board in any, I guess, way, shape, or form, and any across any religion or across any kind of institution. And at first, you know, my first thought was, okay, well, this is great. I mean, it's sort of equality for everybody. But when I read between the lines and then actually listened to a couple of podcasts break it down, what it actually meant was that there was no religious institution that would be um, protected against saying you cannot marry in our church, which then meant that the religious institutions in them in and of themselves lost the freedom of speech and they lost the freedom of, of, of their own choices. They lost the freedom to practice what they believe their you know, doctrines to be, which is our what second amendment right or third amendment rights, the right to religion. So I guess what I'm saying is I'll try to keep it succinct at this point, but it's that we have all of these sort of weaponized words. Okay, I think you mentioned that word earlier, um, Tiffany, and I use the word a lot myself, but these mm -hmm. weaponized words, these weaponized kind of this act that looked like it was supposed to be great. And then we were all supposed to just follow it and say, oh, great, wonderful. We're moving forward together in the right way, but we didn't do a whole lot of digging to see that that actually took rights away on a larger scale, that it's not really the government's business to get involved in that, that it would be up to the church, or up to the religious institution to get involved in that. So when I looked more deeply, I think my shift in how I see that particular movement has changed a lot. Not because I don't believe people should be able to marry who they want, but it's because I believe that if you're an institution that decides that's not something your institution wants to do, you should not be punished for it. That's basically your freedom to practice. So I think that's what I wanted to add, uh, what popped up in my mind kind of earlier on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. That's so interesting. I, I really agree because I don't think that that is about so much if we as you know individuals agree or disagree with gay marriage. It is about really allowing religious freedom because there are yes. various religions have different ideas about the purpose of marriage. And so therefore they have different ideas about gay marriage. And the thing that I don't get is there are churches that early on were fully in support of gay marriage and happy to perform gay weddings. And so if you're a gay person and you're going to a church that disagrees with gay marriage and doesn't align with that, why don't you select a church that does align with your values mm -hmm. and go get married there? Why do you have to try to tell everybody at that church, you know, the Catholic church or whatever, or the Methodist church split over this? Why do you have to basically reconstruct that church and how they make meaning of marriage, how they make meaning of relationships? You've, you won what you wanted. You can now get married. Why don't you go do that someplace that supports that and celebrates it and thinks it's great instead of trying to prevent all other religions from doing, practicing the way they believe they should be practicing. It's just, to me, that's actually restricting freedom and it's supposedly about freedom. Well, now you're restricting it. To me, freedom is people get to have their different opinions and they get to practice according to those opinions. Well, and it seems to represent, or this is, this is one representation of something larger that's sweeping through. It's this tearing down of boundaries and this saying, uh, you know, you, you see the word normalize all the time, normalize this, normalize that. I just saw this thing on Twitter yesterday. It was like some horrible video. It's like normalize hairy women. And it's just somebody like <laughs> showing, the, showing their underarms and like stroking, <laughs> lovingly stroking their underarms. And like, then they had like this, this hair down the middle of their chest. And I'm like, is that a woman? I don't know why I'm all, I, okay. But so there, it, everything is normalize this, normalize that. That means it's like bringing the exceptions into the center so it's this this whole concept this this obsession with marginalized people is bring people who aren't well represented by the average in and fold them in and talk about them so that they were and what does that do if we if we conceptualize that as a perpetual process then we're always folding the edges in we're always yeah. frustrating the, right. the the norm so it, it and so with religion these are pockets, these faith communities are pockets of people who adhere to very specific life structures and meaning structures. And if, if we are to, like you say, you, you can find a faith that will represent you better. Why mm -hmm. come into one 
and burst that apart? What what, what is the end goal here? It's everything Can I bring will that be back flat. to the culture. Can I bring that back to the culture? Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah. The thing that's unique about the LDS culture is that because they were pushed out of state after state after state, they have a sense of of tolerance. So out mm-hmm. here in the middle of my farmland, what was farmland, is what looks like a Taj Mahal building. So because they decided to build a temple for the Hare Krishna people. So I don't know, that's probably not the correct name for them, but that's what, so they built this, this huge temple because acceptance and tolerance and not persecuting another person's religion is a part of the LDS faith that, that just is. And so you already have this sense of tolerance. So then the tolerance becomes weaponized. What happens, and I'm, again, I'm not speaking from a point of faith. I'm speaking from a cultural point. What happens is that people come and they take these very good-hearted, hardworking people who believe, literally, this is fundamental to the belief, is that um, the belief is that we're all children of God. Not every faith believes that. Some people believe that you become a child of God when you have accepted Christ as your Savior. Some people believe, you know, only their faith is a child of God and can only ever be. But Mormons believe that we are all literally brothers and sisters. Why wouldn't we be more accepting? Why wouldn't we be more tolerant? And so what happens is you take these very good thoughts, these very good um, benevolent thoughts, and then you get people who, one of the worst things that I think that's happening is you get people who hate this church. They hate the Mormon faith and they are here. They have infiltrated into that. So they're bringing their ideas in to tear it apart. So other churches, other faiths might go from the top down. The Pope is saying things that his people do not agree with in the Mormon church. No, sorry. In, in, In the Mormon church, it tends to be people on the bottom. It tends to be people who, oh, well, yes, I believe in the proclamation of the family because you can't go to the temple without believing in the proclamation of the family. Um, but I have a child who's gay. So because my child's gay, I need to change my beliefs and you need to change your beliefs to be more accepting of my child. Mm-hmm. And so it starts at the bottom and it moves its way up. And the other thing, um, just in case we don't have another round <laughs> around The other thing that's really important is that we have people who will come to Utah and they will pray on that. They will pray on the goodness of of a person's innocence, quite frankly. And so they'll move here from another state like California um, and they'll run for office and they will fundamentally change the culture Mm -hmm. and people will go, oh, well, I go to church with them. So they must be a good person. Mm And, and all the way back, one more thing, sorry, all the way back to what Tiffany was saying about relationships. If you have a relationship, if you have a spiritual relationship, then you have a foundation. And if you have that foundation, you definitely don't turn to Marxism because Marxism is atheism. Right. So for all of these people yeah. that are embracing this within their churches, it's because they don't have their own true foundation. That's just, that's the fact. So are there... Are there LDS people who absolutely love and follow Christ 100% and he is the love of their life and that's how they follow things? Absolutely. And are there people who just follow the culture because it benefits them? Absolutely. But what we have is people who are told to trust. So much so that it is just a takeover of the state. Mm -hmm. I think it's, Oh, sorry, Carrie, I'm not trying to cut you off. Sorry. I keep yelling at my kids to be quiet and meeting me. So <laughs> sorry. Yes. I think it's all an attack on religious freedom. Um, Jennifer, you brought up the pride flags in classrooms. That is in 1995, our church issued something that Carrie just referenced called the family proclamation. So it's the proclamation to the whole world about the family. And it's very, I was 10 years old and I remember um, it's a new scripture and it was continuing revelation, which we believe in that in our church. And it was about women's roles, men's roles and marriage. And it talked about families and how families should function. The man is the, uh, 
he presides, he provides, the woman is the nurturer and they worked together for the home. And it talks about how marriage is between a man and a woman. In 1995, that was like, right, we got it. But in 2023, that is like the most hateful document that is under so much scrutiny right now that people hate that we have that. And the people in the church, that's the whole thing, is that we have this group called Mormon Women for Ethical Government. And and also, here's one more thing that's happening, is this, it's elitism. So within the church, probably more than most churches, you are, um, education is highly, highly prized. So I think that's true of the Jewish faith too. But with LDS, it's highly, highly prized. So we've got all of these people going into academia, okay? And then what we have are people who, um, when they go into academia, they feel better. I mean, really, there's this extreme, I've never seen elitism like I see in Utah. I've never seen, if you're an entrepreneur, you're not nearly as respected as if you have a degree to go with that. In Washington, where I was, entrepreneurs, hey, money talks people right so but here it's it's that education so it's that education and it's that temple recommend and without those two things you're kind of dirt hmm. so that's really interesting that's yeah. really interesting i think uh, what you're talking about tiffany about the family doctrine mm-hmm. uh I, I guess i see this and and help me refine this if you guys see it differently but i see the the authoritarianism coming into the culture with basically three three prongs there's the medical authoritarianism and then there's the the racial uh, the attacks on racial relations and then there's the um the gender stuff and the breaking down of of sexuality and gender into it's just a splintering and so one of the things that i've been very fascinated with is people who say this pride thing this sexuality and gender spectrum splintering is not healthy. This has gone too far. Well, I've been very interested in having a discussion around, well, where do you put your pin then? What is your meaning? What is your backdrop? Where, how do you make sense of sexual morality in a secular society? And what you're describing is this doctrine. It couldn't be plainer. It's this, in this faith, there is, it's a clear definition. Here it is. And Mm -hmm. so there, there is a place to put your pin and, uh, it's how has how has it been infiltrated how has that been undermined what is the process of undermining something that's so so strong good question i think like we've talked about the weaponizing of the words nice and kind and tolerance like carrie touched on really well because that is our our history is that we were driven out of state to state to state and they do teach that we are all children of god but we have one of our leaders is named Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, and he recently said, we have to be careful that love and empathy do not get interpreted as condoning and advocacy. Mm. And then he says, as near as I can tell, Christ never once withheld his love from anyone, but he also never once said to anyone, because I love you, you are exempt from keeping my commandments. Mm. And I think it's, I think people get nervous. I mean, there's a lot of arrows coming at us. If we stand up against rainbow flags, if we stand up against anything that the world is pushing. And I think people are afraid, but I think that's where, if we have conviction and if we have that relationship with God, where we know we answer to him, we fear God more than we fear man. We don't care. We have a, another really important, I just, I feel like it's important. I've just barely been studying this, but there's a man in the book of Mormon named Abinadi. And he is, he is a prophet. He's telling everybody you need to repent. Christ had not been born yet. And he says, you need to repent. Christ is coming. You're not going to have a chance because this is, you're living in sin knowingly. So these were people that had the gospel that were living in sin. And they bring Abinadi to the leader named King Noah. And they say, he is causing contention among our people. They're mad at him for causing contention and making the people angry. And I think that same narrative is pushed now from somebody. They don't want you to make somebody sad or mad. It's mean to make somebody sad, right? To tell them that they're evil or that they would need to follow commandments. And so they say that to Abinadi and he's standing in front of King Noah with a whole line of these, these wicked priests. And they ask him, 
they quote Isaiah to Abinadi and say, well, what about when it says, how beautiful upon the mountain are those feet of those who publish peace? And Abinadi is like, you guys are high priests and you're asking me what scripture means. And also you think that that's what it means. You don't understand it because that's the savior publishing peace. That is not you. And it's not, it is not saying we don't call out sin. And they actually try to grab him to kill him. And he says, touch me not. I have not yet told you what God told me to say. And they end up burning him at the stake. But so, his so in terms of the don't, you don't want to not be nice. You don't want to not be tolerant. This seems like it's the classic problem of liberalism. And I say that as a liberal, yes, I've always identified myself as a liberal. I still do. I don't see what the left is doing as being liberal, but I will also say that there is a problem. Anything, any kind of philosophy has its extreme, you know, if you follow it to its extreme extent, you get something that's that, that is a, a warped version of itself or an unhealthy version of itself, just like with anything mm -hmm. in life. And so the, the classic problem of liberalism is the, where it's the intolerance will not be tolerated. Right. Yes. And so where, where do you end? You end up with complete cultural entropy. You can end up with a, a complete lack of meaning or structure. And so where do you yeah. start to put that back in? How do you par start to say, okay, yes, we've been being nice, but, but this has gone too far. Or how, how do liberals cope afraid. with this? I'm sick of people being afraid. I have people that I cannot socialize mm -hmm. with because it's always, oh, well, I appreciate what you're doing, but you know, I don't want to cause waves all the time. It's our kids. Yeah. It's, it's our kids. Mormons think that, um, they're protected because they've, for whatever reason, but we're 22%, 22% of LDS kids identify as queer today. Wow. What? But we're not any 22% of LDS kids they identify in the queer because that's, that's what they're being taught in school. Next month, yeah. next month here in Utah, it's queer appreciation month for our kids in oh, K-12. Wow. So homeschool plug, Carrie, homeschool. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> a, definitely a homeschool plug. But on top of that is that you're being used while you are saying, okay, I want to be nice. There's no intention to be nice to you. I think the reason I asked That's Tiffany right. specifically to come on is that there's a group and they're called Stronger Together. Mm -hmm. And this group you know, that sounds like such a wonderful name. Sounds like, oh, let's all work together. Yeah. Then you go around and you physically assault people who don't agree with you. And we say, oh, but we're good Mormons. No, we're not. That right. is not a good anything to go and physically assault other people that you don't agree with mm -hmm. and to excuse it because we don't want to cause contention. I'm sorry, but there has to be a time when we stand up. Right. And there has to be a time when you say Marxism sucks, mm -hmm. stay away from it because no one of any religion is going to be allowed to worship the way they see fit, period. Mm -hmm. It will not happen if we embrace Marxism because Marxism, as this young man that I, um, I did a speech contest, I judged a speech contest and this young man said, Karl Marx, Marxism and atheism are the same thing. They're literally the same thing. You cannot achieve what Karl Marx wants you to achieve without eventually everyone being an atheist. And my issue with atheism, I don't care what somebody believes in, but it, there's always an authoritarian thing to it. And that's what we're watching mm -hmm. in Utah. We are watching, if you don't accept everything we tell you to accept, you are hateful. Yeah. Even though I don't hold hate in my heart. When people yeah. hurt me, I go... Oh, that really sucked. I maybe eat a pizza. <laughs> then I, you know, <laughs> you move on. Well, that's the the thing yeah. with the the empathy. Like if people who call this an over an overly empathetic, overly weaponization of compassion, weaponization yes. of empathy. Um, did y'all see that? There was a short video put out by Manhattan Institute. It was Chris Chris Rufo yeah. talking about cluster B. It was real yeah. popular. It went around. Yes. Yeah, yes. check it out if you haven't already seen it. Very um, good. It was very good. And in the end of the video, he uh, talked about how some of this were these, these uh, leadership elements were overly feminized. And he talked about feminine yes. um, 
I guess, leadership strategies or, or conflict strategies. And, and I, I think that that's very interesting. Maybe sometime we can get into that at length. I would love I, to get into that. Cause I have a couple of things that I'm working on around oh, that. Good, good. Topic. Yeah. But let's, let's have a big discussion about yes. that. Cause I think yes. that there's room for that. And yes. one of yeah. the things that I thought that was like, as a mother, I know the difference between placating and, and calming down, soothing a tantrum or whatever it might be for the now in order to get a, an immediate response that, that mollifies the, the upset person versus playing the long game and doing what's right for somebody, even though it's hard in the moment. Yes. And so I don't yeah. parent my kids so that they're going to be quiet and, and, and placid today. I parent them so they're going to grow up to be strong people. And so this whole idea that, that this is an overly, I, it's, I think it's not necessarily feminine or masculine. I think it's overly short-sighted. It's overly, it's, it's seeking to coddle and mollify people that you don't expect to ever become full people. So I, 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 I don't know that weaponization of empathy, where do you place your empathy? I'm very empathetic. And that's why I'm being very firm right now mm -hmm. and right. not taking the easy way out. The prop, the problem I think is that people have developed the idea that being kind and empathetic means not setting boundaries and not saying no, yeah. not saying, I understand you believe that I respect your right to believe that. And I believe differently. And just mm -hmm. as you have a right to believe this, I have a right to my beliefs. Well, there's a, there's a level of rational thought that comes into play. And I think empathy and rational thought can coexist rather than mm -hmm. empathy is looked at oftentimes as kind of being, you're empathetic, you're going to be kind, you're going to be loving no matter what, there's no boundaries, but there is a rational thought component that needs to come into that. So I'm hearing rationality, boundaries, um, containment, which we all need. Um, yes. A lot, a learning how to say, learning how to accept no and rejection, because that's part of life and being able to still be okay living and going forward, having a pizza afterwards, as you said, Carrie, and moving forward. So, so it's almost that there's this empathy to the complete destruction or dismissal, diminishment of any rational thought or groundedness that keeps us whole people that keeps us with boundaries. Mm -hmm. This yes. being told no kids need to be told no. we know this from child and adolescent development that it is key and important for them to be told so and the other extreme of this empathy or overly compassionate is actually the placating um Le leslie which i'll totally ag agree with on that it's, so i think that's what's missing here is that boundaries can be done with love yes well yeah. it's truth i would argue yes. i mean love is truth i'm not going to lie to my kids if they're going to make bad choices right. you will not have happiness if i'm going to lie to you and affirm whatever path you're on because you feel like that's what you want to do that that's your truth truth is from god god is the arbitrator of truth and so truth comes from him he owns it we don't get to change it and form it into what we want we have um another story that i loved that are the same elder holland talked about he said we don't want a god that tells us what to do. We want a God that will sit in our boat and we row him where we want him to go. He doesn't even guide the boat. We just, we want him to affirm everything that we're doing. I will not do that for my children or for anybody. Wickedness well, never was happiness. And it will never you were saying you wanted to make God small. And I, I think like, it's great to say, to true. talk about truth. And that's, I guess that's where another question comes up is that considering compassion, being nice, being liberal, being tolerant, whatever. And I think that these are good values. I, I do think that these are very good values. But at what point does the person who considers themselves to be this way speak up and and dare to correct the behavior of another person? And I mm -hmm. think that that is a very difficult place to determine for oneself. Like, I think a lot of the reason the stuff has slipped in the way that it has is that it's being slipped in sort of passively. It's you're not being asked to directly confront it a lot of times. It's just showing up alongside other things. So like I'm thinking about the way a lot of the social justice stuff was presented in my graduate school was to just just add it in as if it's foundational. We weren't being asked to, to have a conversation about it or debate the merits of it. If we had, then it would have provided a perfect framework for us to discuss where we have problems with it. But when it's just added alongside, it comes in sort of obliquely 
And then the onus is on you to be the one to call that out. And so being the one to call someone else out is a really challenging thing for a tolerant culture. Also, and this is one more thing about the culture is that motherhood is being um, wiped out. Motherhood is becoming less and less what it used to be. It used to be, and like, this is the whole reason that I converted to the faith in the first place is because I didn't have a mother. I didn't have anybody who taught me how to, um, how to lead another generation. And now moms all the way across, every, you know, it's what you're shamed if you're a stay at home mom. And, um, and also a lot of moms are focused on the shallow parts of being a mom. Does my house look like Pinterest? You know, does <laughs> I mean, really like that's what, we're, that's what a lot of moms are thinking about and they're perfectly fine with the second that child walks in the door, handing them social media. So we can get upset as much as we want of what's going on in schools. And obviously I do, but it doesn't matter if we hand them off to that. It doesn't matter if we have them at church on Sunday. If they walk in the door and they're on a tablet, they're getting all of this information. Even if that's from the smallest kids watching Disney, which we trust is good because we wanna believe in the good of everyone. So if we're starting with Disney, all the way up to watching TikTok videos of, you know, activists saying their stuff or gender specialists saying their stuff to the kids. And this is what we have lost. I think ultimately, because I do, I, I want to try to stick to the, to the theme. So of, of Utah, Utah was the place of mothers. Utah was the place of families. And now we are the great and spacious building. Mm. I think we have, so the first great commandment is to love God, right? The second great commandment is to love each other, love our neighbors. When we mix up that order, then we have problems because that's when we're, so Leslie, you asked the question, how do we call it out? You know, I don't know if we have to call it out as much as we lead people to Christ and then the spirit corrects them and Christ corrects them. And it's not going along with the delusion of, yes, you are in the wrong body. That's a mental disorder. I, I don't care how you want to frame that. And the hard thing for me is that um, we have mixed up that order. And so we try to love and affirm everything everybody's feeling, every way the wind is blowing, instead of having that love rooted in God. And the more we love God, the more able we are to love each other. That's just an eternal truth. Well, that's a beautiful, beautiful response grounded in, in faith. And I think that that's a great model. And also from a secular perspective, what is a secular, when you're living in the secular world, how do liberal minded, tolerant people draw a line between saying, okay, maybe we have a norm or a cultural ideal or a way that we've been teaching things for a long time, but it's okay if people want to deviate from that. You can deviate because we don't live in a tyranny where you're demanded to live a certain way and love a certain way and act a certain way. And yet this is, where do you draw your line between allowing exceptions and letting the exceptions become the weaponized against the, the norm? Well, I think what you said earlier, Leslie, I'll just jump in with folding the marginalized into the middle so that the exception becomes kind of the rule in a sense, or it becomes normalized. That's where the issue is. Because I think in a tolerant society that works, you can accept, you know, you're accepting the, fr the, the fringe of society, if you will, or the marginalized groups, they're also accepted, but we're not folding them into what the norm is. We're still a bar, a measure for what the norm is and what is the most likely to work as a society in the way that we're structured without persecuting the people on the edges or without hailing them and raising them up either, but giving them this Space to live and do them, uh, you know, without folding them into the middle. That's that. That would be my answer. Is that that's that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. You still keep a majority sort of norm of what's considered a normal, you know, response or normalized way of living, um, without infringing on these other folks, but without making their ways the actual norm, which is what's happening now. It's becoming the norm. Forty percent. Right. You're saying twenty-two percent in Utah. It's like forty percent in treatment facilities across California are queer children. Forty percent identify as that. Yeah. That's astronomical. And it, it tells you right there, it's a mental health problem, but that's another. Show. It's a mental health problem. And it's also a, um, a phenomenon of 
social contagion that's going on. Like, I mean, it's just spreading, right. It's peer pressure. It's just spreading like wildfire. Well, we're in now every kid is saying that they are something other than what they biologically are. And I think it causes tremendous pain and confusion in young people and adolescents. God knows if you look back, it was a confusing enough time as it was without adding all all Mm. this to it. And I think liberals struggle with what you were, um, saying Christine like where do you draw that line and to me it's like you still you have to think about the health of the individual and about the overall health of society is it healthy for the individual to say oh sure you you are whatever you feel like you are if you're in a girl's body but you feel like a boy well then you are so let's get you on hormones let's change your pronouns Let's see if you want surgery in a few years. And is it good for the overall health of society? No, it's absolutely not to have people in this level of confusion because by the time they sort it out and figure out, because most people truly are heterosexual and we all learn to live in the bodies that we were dealt at birth. By the time people figure that out, it's gonna be so much harder for them to have kids because your fertility starts dropping when you're pretty young, like around 30. So it's not really good for the overall health of society. It drastically interferes in human relationships to have this level of confusion going on. The health of society will always be attached to truth. And think about when you were in junior high, how many different phases did you go through? When I was like a zillion. Kids were gothic, kids were skaters, kids were whatever, you know, they grabbed onto something to find an identity. And this time, all the adults in their life are saying, you are that. And right. you do have that label. And now they get yeah. so much attention. There, There's legislation going on for them. There was never legislation for skaters or druggies. No. You know what I'm saying? Now they have a right. reason they can go to the Capitol and be part of this organization, this group. They have such an identity the second they claim any of these things. Whereas if you're just some white kid in school in Utah, you're a nobody. You have yeah. to claim one of these things in order for that. And if there's, we just don't have any foundation in truth and everybody's afraid of truth. It's all back to truth for me. I just think that is what will crumble a society. And you see that all through scripture, the same thing. Well, I think that's a really great thing to, to highlight. It is so true that the difference is the way that the adults are fostering, encouraging, Mm -hmm. and providing a framework for this, that, that helps children to really concretize these these what what really should be just an identity formation process and i mean when it comes down to it you know your 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 comparison of what's going on right now with the gender stuff to fashions of the past which are really just these phases that people go through i think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot to that and it really is the way society is responding to that Mm -hmm. and the sad thing is like jennifer touched on this has lifelong implications if they're on hormone blockers if they have surgeries, this girl that, <clears throat> I don't know if Carrie touched on this, but my sisters and I, and my mom and the Aura mayor were attacked the other night. This has made international news. Um, this non-binary girl came and spit on my sister, spit on the mayor, punched the mayor in the face and hit my sister in the head with her fist. Wow. And she has a concussion. Wow. I mean, it's been, it's rude. This was just on Tuesday, but she is so full of anger and hatred and her mom is a local reporter she's written a bunch of hit pieces on my dad on my family my dad has spoken out against the sexualized books for children in the public library and he's on the city council this is his job in a publicly funded library and this is sexualizing of children Mm -hmm. and she's she's been very weaponized by the villainization of my family and of the mayor right now and her mom is the reporter that keeps writing all these articles against my family. So she comes in so full of hate, so angry. And my family, there's I recorded the whole thing because the police weren't there yet. And I knew we needed evidence because it's a white man against a non-binary girl and white people. Anyway, Carrie understands this in Utah. Um, and so I'm recording and you can hear us saying, walk away, get out of here. You don't want to do this. You're, you're not in a good place. My sister's saying, you're coming in too angry. You got to walk away. And my mom through tears says, you know, after four minutes of de-escalation, my mom says, we don't want you sad. We don't want you sad. And she says, yes, you do. And my mom's like, no, we don't. And I've been raised in a foundation of truth. My mom has taught us truth 
forever. Truth does not flow with the wind. Truth comes from God. And so she's trying to tell this girl, we don't want you sad. We obviously, we know you're very upset. And the mayor didn't know if she was a girl or a boy. He wanted to hit her because she just spit in his face. <laughs> and she's had top surgery. You can't tell. And and she just spit in his face. And he, he says, are you a he? Are you a he? As she's screaming at him. And my sister grabs him back knowing she is a girl and he can't punch her. It's such a weird time in society. But if we're not rooted in truth, just like this girl was in her mind, she has, she does have a lot of mental disorders and she writes that all over her social media, but she's also in a place where people have affirmed in her mind, mm -hmm. whoever you feel you are, that's who you are. Yeah. And in, in junior high, yeah. she was a girl. And then she wanted to be a lesbian and then she wanted to be yeah. whatever it was. Wow. That and these sounds really different. I'm so wind. sorry that your family went through that, Tiffany. That's Thanks. awful. That's crazy. You know, I wish we could get into that story more. We have to wrap. Mm -hmm. It's it's now 11 o'clock. One, one real quick. I wanted to say the finisher said something about most Americans being in a prolonged adolescence by design. And I really wanted to highlight that because I think that's, yeah. that's uh, very, I've, I've had a lot of thoughts about that as well with the way that we're the way that we're living and encouraging people to be irresponsible long into their early adulthood. But um, I guess that's a topic for another day. This has been really interesting. Thank you very much for joining us, Tiffany. It's great to get your perspective and to hear a little bit about how this is impacting that one specific and seemingly very cohesive community and what and watching this kind of break down some things there. I'm sure there's much more for us to discuss, but thank you for joining us today. And Carib and Christine, thanks for filling in for David and Deborah today. <laughs> My and pleasure. Our pleasure. It was lots of fun as always. Yeah. Thank well, thanks all. Thank you all. Good to everybody. Have okay, a great day. You. Bye. See ya.